Boy, that should have gotten you ready, huh? Whew. Thank you, thank you, worship team. Thank you, Camille. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. And we're going to be looking at basically the 3rd through the 8th verses, but we will look at uh, go back to 1 through 3, which we studied last week. And this is a... This is a a different topic. I, I I know growing up, pastors didn't like to preach on this. In fact, I don't think they preached on it very often, and we didn't mention it in church very often. Uh, you know, the word sex. Sex is not what you expect on Sunday morning. Uh, you may get that in sex education in school, but that's not something that pastors usually preach on. But you know, Paul spoke on it. And when you're going through a book of the Bible, you deal with what's there, and... Uh, I looked at it, and I was going back through the Internet, and I was just looking at some of the issues that we have. Uh, pedophiles. Uh, someone who has distorted what God gave us in terms of sexuality. Uh, pornography. Uh, Billion-dollar interest uh, industry that is so destructive to so many things. It just talked about the idea of physically how much it takes away from uh, businesses where people are so involved in that that they aren't doing the work they should or being as productive as they should. Uh, talked about how it destroys homes, uh, relationships between husbands and wives and, and children and, and what the impact it has. Uh, human trafficking today. Uh, children, women, and young people that are taken away from their homes, and they're basically slaves. Uh, we think slavery doesn't happen in America, but it is a billion-dollar industry in America today. Um, and so these things are distortions of what God meant for something beautiful. I, I really believe that. God meant uh, the sexual relationship for something good. And I want to just start beginning in, in chapter 4, Start with the first verse and go down very quickly into verse 3. It says, finally then, brethren, if you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses beginning in the first verse. If you do not have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure that we get you one. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, let me begin reading. It says, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to live, how you ought to walk. It's, it's, it's something we owe to God, our lifestyle, and please God. And the first thing I want you to realize as we look at this passage is that we are to live our lives in such a way that we please God. And we should please him oh, for many, many different reasons. But number one, he gave you life. First, uh, or Psalms 139, it says, While you were still in the mother's womb, he was intimately involved with your creation. Uh, he gave us the world to enjoy. The creation that we have is so amazing. But beyond that, because of our sin, we were separated from God. We had no hope for our eternal destiny. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to die for us. And we ought to please God with our lives. When we think of what God has done for us and what he has accomplished on our behalf and he continues to accomplish on our behalf, it's, it's amazing. To please just has that idea that we need to live to be uh, agreeable with, with God's will. There's a couple of verses or passages I want to look at very quickly. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 9. Let me... Uh, 
read this to you as we get there. Uh, you don't necessarily need to turn to it. But 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 9, it says, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while you were at home in the body, you were absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith. In other words, we live our life by faith, in faith in what God has promised and who he is, not by sight, not necessarily that we see Jesus or we're aware of that. It isn't what we see or what we touch It's by faith in what God says. We are of good courage, he said, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body. In other words, I'd rather be dead and be at home with the Lord. And therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home with the Lord, because we are aliens down here, we are not citizens of the world, we are aliens, we're citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God, So whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That should be our desire to please God with our lives. In Colossians chapter 1, it's back here pretty close to our study of 1 Thessalonians as we get back to to Colossians in the first chapter. In the ninth and 10th verses, it says, For this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge, the understanding of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you, and here it is, will walk. Your life will be lived out in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so as Christians, one of our great desires is that we live our lives to please God, to honor him. And... uh, If he is Lord of our life, and when you receive Jesus Christ, it says, confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, Lord, then we are to live in such a way that we please him. It goes on in this passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It said, well, let me start with the first verse again. Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as we taught you as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as actually we you do walk. I, I like that Paul says you're doing a good job already that you excel so more. Don't don't be satisfied with the status quo. Don't be satisfied with just where you are today. And too often that's an easy thing to do, isn't it? We get busy with everything else in our life and we just kind of become satisfied. And we just kind of sit there without moving ahead. In verse 2 it says, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We are to live holy lives. Sanctification comes from the same word as holy. And uh, to be sanctified, to be holy, is to be separate. Uh, We go back to 1 Peter. And uh, that first chapter, uh, Peter was speaking to the believers, and he called them aliens. They were living around the, the, the world at that time. It was Jews who had been separated from, from Israel and from Judea. And in chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, Paul made this statement. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts. In other words, the way you lived before in your ignorance. You didn't know what was right. You didn't know what was wrong. Nobody had told you. But like the Holy One who called you. In other words, there's going to be a behavioral change because now you begin to understand right and wrong. 
So like the Holy One who called you, be holy, set apart, sanctified. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In other words, we're to become like God. God can't have anything to do with sin. And what he says is that that should be our desire. That should be our direction and goal is that sin be removed from our lives. Where we're living in such a way that we dishonor God. We want that changed in our lives so that our lives are lived in such a way that we honor him. And it says we are to be holy as he is holy. You go back to another passage that kind of sets this tone and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it leads us into our passage this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body, this physical being that I have right here, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. And so as we come to this passage this morning, we realize that we are to be pleasing unto God by how we live. We realize that we are to be sanctified, we're to be set apart, we're to be holy in our lifestyle. And uh, that doesn't mean you just kind of sit around with a glum face all the time. I I don't think that's the way God is, Uh, but he's holy. I think there's joy and happiness and and excitement about the Christian life, and we should see that. We aren't to be just kind of... You know, I remember as a young boy, we used to sing that song, Holy, oh, and we dragged that out, kind of holy, oh, and, and you got the idea that holy was boring. It's not. It's not boring at all. Our lives should not be boring when we have that relationship with God. But for the Thessalonians, there was an area of their life where I believe because of ignorance, because of the things that they had learned by their society and their culture that they didn't understand what it meant to be holy in their physical, sexual life. You see, if you lived in Thessalonica, you found that this was a town probably much like Corinth. It was a seaport. There were people who were coming and going, and all kinds of ideas were brought there. It was a a city that was really entrenched in idolatry, which in that age was immoral. You remember I mentioned last week that in Corinth, the city or or the uh, temple to Epaphrodite, (laughs) Diana, had a thousand prostitutes in it that were there for the worshippers' benefit. Uh, We look at that. that, uh, We don't do that in our churches. There's a different view that God has given us and a different idea, but they had this this idea that, that sexuality wasn't based on being pure or holy or uh, being faithful to a spouse. It was based on opportunity and uh, pleasure. You know, if it felt good, you had the opportunity, go for it. A lot of people live that way today. Because you see, in our society and culture, we have continued to move back down a little closer to where Thessalonica is and where Corinth is. And it's coming back and realizing what has God called us to. He's called us to a marriage relationship that is holy and right before him. He's called us fidelity in our marriages. And so as we go on here, it talks about what 
it means to be sanctified. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, or, or there's a lot of things about personal sanctification and being holy and set apart to God. But it says in this instance, and I think Paul was using an illustration that would have been very clear to the Thessalonian believers. He says, in this instance, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain means to literally keep away from sexual immorality. That's not where your life's to be. And as I was looking up different immoral aspects in the world today, I thought, wow. If we simply obeyed what God said and used sexuality the way God intended, we wouldn't have a lot of the problems we have in our culture and society today. We wouldn't have kids going through a lot of the pain that they go through in broken homes and uh, the immoral relationships and uh, the pedophilia, and we wouldn't have the, the problems with the porno pornography and how it has become so entrenched in our society and such a, a devastating thing. There are, are so many different areas that that are a problem. But you know, it, it's, as we look at this, you know, we think, well, those are the people that don't know the Lord. They're the ones that have that problem. But that's not true, is it? Uh, immorality is, is a very broad term in terms of sexuality. is isn't just adultery. It, it fits just about every classification of, of immoral lifestyle or activities. But we look at our society today and we see how it has impacted not only the secular world, but the spiritual world, the religious world. It wasn't just a few years ago, it, it came out that in the Catholic Church, the priests had had relationships with young people, young boys, young girls. And, and you know, it, it became such a, a major scandal in America, and the church was being sued. And for evangelicals like myself, it was easy to say, well, if you just let them get married. They wouldn't have those problems. You just let them get married, it'd be okay. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, folks, it's more than that. And then all of a sudden it broke out in Hollywood, you know, and we have answers for these. Hollywood, oh yeah. Those, those producers and actors and their sin there are Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby. Boy, I couldn't believe Bill Cosby. They all, they're, they're tempted and there's issues there and that's going on there. And so I was able to say, well, it's the sin of Hollywood. Yeah, that's it. 2018 young woman by the name of Julie Woodson came out, said 20 years before, she wasn't that young, she was in her 40s, uh, professional woman, very successful. 20 years before, she had been abused by a youth pastor in the Southern Baptist Association of Churches in Texas. And she said, when you talk about hashtag me too, that's me, and it was in my church. Well, the newspapers or the news began to pick up on that, secular news, religious news, they began to follow up on it. Uh, over 700 women from the Southern Baptist Association have come forward and said, I also was abused in the church. 
Pastors lost their positions. Senior leaders lost their their positions because of this. Uh, Seminary professors. Page. Page Patterson was probably one of the major voices in evangelical Christianity. He is the president of Southwestern Baptist Seminary. And uh, I think probably because of cover-up, here was this man at this high position that lost his, his place. Hashtag church too. You see, we missed the point of what God's talking about here of abstaining from sexual immorality. And it's not just the secular world. It has certainly touched the evangelical church because it's something that we have hidden. It's something we don't talk about, but it is there. And, and immorality is, is a very general term for sexual discretion. It can be premarital sex. It can be adultery, extramarital affairs, unfaithfulness. Uh, Jesus responded to that in an interesting way back in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 and 28. He said, You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. You shall not be unfaithful to your wife. You are to be faithful. There is to be fidelity in the marriage. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you know, a lot of people picked up on that and said, Well, I committed adultery, but I'm not so bad because you looked at a woman. That's not the idea. But I can't judge somebody else for what they've done when my heart's probably no better. And I have that sin attitude here too. And so it's the idea each of us has to look at our lives. Each of us have to look where we are and what we're looking at and, and, and what's there for us. The Tenth Commandment says, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Look upon her with desire. Ladies, that's the same. You're not to covet <laughs> your neighbor's husband. Pornography would fit here. Fantasy, immorality, which comes with pornography and the mind, homosexuality, gays, lesbians, transgenders. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11 uh, talks about this a little more. Or do you not know that Unrighteous, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And it's talking about people, not that make us that sin here or sin there or mess up here or mess up there, but this is the pattern of their life. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, those are people that are living an immoral lifestyle, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, those who are involved in a homosexual relationship, uh, perverted style, nor homosexuals, and then it goes on, nor thieves and different ones. But he names these individuals and he said, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, such were some of you. He's talking to the people of Corinth. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and and in the spirit of our God. And so there was a change in you. What's, What's God's purpose for sexuality? I mean, it's... It's been misused. It's been abused in so many ways. But you have to come back and say, well, why do we have it? You know, why is it an issue? What, what's it all about? Well, we can go back to Genesis chapter 1. 
And I think this is a good passage to go to as we begin to look at this and realize that sexuality was created by God. He said it was good. But it was created for one thing, and that was the marriage relationship. You go to verse 27 and 28 of Genesis 1, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then it says he created them male, and he created them female. Gender of both. He created them. God blessed them. He said to them, and here's where that, that relationship comes in, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Talks about food, and then he comes down to verse 30, 31, and he said, Behold, it was very good. Sex was made for a number of different things. Number one was procreation. You know, if we were not attracted to the opposite sex... All guys would want to do is go out and play football, basketball, never look at women. And we wouldn't have the human race. It'd be dead. It'd be gone. The same thing for ladies. You know, they'd look at guys and say, oh, they're dirty, they're ugly, they smell. I think I'll go shopping. You know, it just has different ideas of what we're interested in. But there is an attraction that God created there. And part of it is that we would procreate, that the race would continue on. I think a second thing that sex was created for within the marriage relationship was enjoyment. We are to enjoy one another. We're to enjoy our, our physical relationship. In, in Proverbs chapter uh, 5, in the 18th verse, it says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Down in the 20th verse, it says, why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress? Why somebody that's not your wife? And embrace the bosom of a foreigner. Man, guys, fall in love with your wife all over again. Enjoy the relationship. I believe that that relationship, it, it, it's the, the physical relationship, if we look at it, is a binding relationship. It draws us together and holds us together in some very special way. And God created that for the union and the strength of the marriage. And, and when we are everywhere else but where we're supposed to be at home, we lose that. And so it needs to be something where we're drawn into the relationship in the home with our family. It's to be a permanent relationship. Jesus said that back in Matthew chapter 19. He was relating back to, to Genesis chapter 1, but I, I like the idea of using the words of Jesus because there are some people that said, well, Jesus, <laughs> he didn't say there was anything wrong with, with uh, homosexuality. Well, he did say that there's something that's right. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, it says... And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them, that God who created them from the beginning made them male and female? They correspond to one another. And for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's that relationship. You leave mom and dad. You don't... 
It, it isn't that you don't have a relationship with mom and dad, it, but it's no longer under their authority. You now establish your own home. Wife leaves to be with her husband. Husband leaves to establish the home. And so they are no longer two, but they're one flesh. And then it says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It's a permanent relationship. Uh, the idea of divorce has become so much a part of our society today that, that we don't see that God says it isn't his desire. And I know there are times it happens, and I know there are situations, and I know that God forgives and God restores an individual to a right relationship with him. But it's not God's intent for you to see your marriage divided. It's not God's intent for you to see it destroyed. And, and that's the idea. It, 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 we come together. I, I believe that God created the husband and the wife. They become one flesh. They procreate. They have children. And the very best place you can raise children today is in the safety of a home where mom and dad have the right relationship. They learn all about family. They learn to be a husband and a wife. They learn to be a mom and a dad. And when that's not there, then I'll tell you what, they're going to struggle when they get to be adults because they don't have the picture that they need to see. And so God created this place of protection, the place for the family where it will grow and be strong and, and the purity that's there. We go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 again. Paul was speaking here, and he dealt so much with uh, the moral aspect in, in this chapter and the fact that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God dwells in us. And in chapter 6, down in verse 15, he says, Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the member of Christ and make them members of prostitutes? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one with her? Or he says the two shall become one flesh. There's something about that relationship that brings that unity, that oneness, that union. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Therefore, flee immorality. Run the other way when the opportunity comes. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. It's, it's, it's not against his body, but the immoral man, he sins against his own body. He sins against who he is. Or do you not know, and I read it a moment ago, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you, whom you have from God, you're not your own. Where are you going to take the Holy Spirit? And what are you going to have him involved in with you? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, you glorify God with your body. As we go on, Paul gives some positives and negatives. Verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that each of you know how to possess or purchase is the word his own vessel. And it's not talking about a boat. It's talking about either his body or his spouse or her spouse. But you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor that you're set apart to that relationship and I think what we're talking about here is self-discipline when temptation comes my way I run the other way I get out of there I, I, I be disciplined my own body 
to the right relationship with my spouse. People have said, oh, it would never work. Yeah, it does. Honor is to show value. This is value before God for what he's given us. It goes on and gives two negatives. It says, you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification, being set apart to God, being holy, and honor shows value. Not, here's the negative, not in lustful passion like Gentiles who do not know God, like non-Christians, not in animalistic behavior. Not with the idea that, oh, I can't help it, that's just the way we are, and we're going to go out and have fun. And I don't think God was ever trying to take away our fun. You know, people say, oh, he just wants us to live a boring life. That's not the case at all. He protects us from the very things that are so destructive in our lives and our culture and society. That's why God gives the directions he gives. It's what we we have here. I, I uh, There was a man that, his child was in, in one of the local schools and he went to school board or went to a school meeting they were having to talk about uh, sex education. And he was sitting there and there were a few other parents there, not that many. I, I remember when Darlene and I went to our first information meeting on sex education, the gym was filled. Everybody wanted to hear it. About second or third when we went there, there were only three or four other people in the room. Uh, we wanted to be involved. We wanted to know what was going on with our daughter, and, and uh, we actually took her out of the sex education classes. You can do that. And uh, we did that, but we went, and we would listen. And it was like that, and this man went, and there were a few other people scattered around the room, and, and two teachers were leading this discussion, and as they talked, he didn't hear much on abstinence, and he said, well, what about abstinence? Do you teach about abstinence? And they said, oh. Yeah, yeah, we mention it, but not very much because that's not where kids are. They're all going to participate in sexual activity. You know, if you think they aren't, you're fooling yourself. They are. And, and the man said, you don't teach, really focus on abstinence? And they said, no. And they, they asked the parents, what do you think? And they all kind of laughed at him. Old-fashioned. Approved, as they used to say. Well, the man sat there, and he was just kind of quiet as they went on about their teaching. And then halfway through the class, they said, well, let's take a break. We have some donuts in the back. Go on out, get a donut. And they all went back. And, and you know, there are some name tags there. Fill out your name and so that people will know who you are. And then introduce yourself around. Shake hands with the different ones. Get to know them. And so they all went back, and they were having donuts, and they were writing these things down. But the man sat there alone, and the teacher came and said, oh, why don't you go back with the rest of them? No, I don't feel like it. Oh, come on, they'd love to get to know you. And he said, no, I don't think they would. I'll just wait here. And they were through, and they all came up. And, and the teacher said, well, we had an exercise for you. Well, you went back, and you got your name tags. And you all got a name tag? And they all went, yeah. And the man had never gone back. He didn't have a name tag. And uh, they said, what we want you to do is look on the back of your name tag, because there's a little flower drawn on one of them. And they looked, and sure enough, there was a flower on one, and they had that person stand up, and they said, okay, this represents, and they were getting into STDs, sexually transmitted diseases or infections, a venereal disease. This, this represents a person who has an STD. How many of you shook hands with this person? Well, two or three shook hands with that person. And they said, okay, so you also would now have that STD, because you had that relationship. How many of you shook hands with these people? 
Well, a number of the others had shaken hands with these people. And by the time they finished, everyone in some way in this great big web of individuals had touched another person. They had shaken hands. And, and so the teacher was saying, and they were all kind of chuckling, and this is kind of funny. And yeah, now you all have this sexually transmitted disease. And she was going on, and, and the man said, uh, stop just a moment. And she stopped, and she said, yes, sir. He says, there's one of us that does not have that disease because he abstained. You see, that's what God says. Abstain from sexual immorality. Don't participate in that. In 2017, there were 2,295,729 diseases, sexually individual who reported an STD in America. 2,295,000. of those are people between 15 and 24. It's at record proportions right now. In 2017, there were 918 babies born with syphilis. Nothing they did, but it affects them. You want to know something? Within one generation, if we simply did what God asked, we would wipe out sexually transmitted diseases. But it's not where people want to be. Another negative goes on and says, uh, you know how to possess your own body in sanctification or your own vessel, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that idea of this this uh, free sex attitude. You know, that, that really grew in the 70s, that attitude in, in the late 60s and 70s with the advent of the pill and abortion. And all of a sudden, the, the results of having a, a, a re, an immoral relationship, a premarital sexual relationship, lost the concern because you didn't have to worry about it anymore. And with the summer of love and Woodstock... <laughs> Things changed in the attitude of America. And that was my generation. We take credit for that. The next verse, it says, and that no man transgress, verse 6, and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger. He is the one who will take vengeance in all these things, just as he also told you before and solemnly warned you, do not defraud a brother. In, in the Tenth Commandment, I already mentioned it, uh, don't covet your neighbor's wife. It's, not, it's the idea of not having a relationship with somebody else's spouse. You take that which isn't yours. It's stealing, really. You know that? You're taking what isn't yours. And let me tell you, we, we've got this idea today that two consenting adults it doesn't hurt anybody but it does uh, kids when they see their families break up moms and dads break up it hurts uh, that was their foundation that was their safety spot and I've had adult children tell me how it just kind of left them with what happened it's parents so many people are touched by these activities. It says God will judge. He will be the avenger. 
We don't know exactly what God does there, that discipline that he brings, but part of it is that he just leaves people to their own sinful state and what it does to them. I think of the damage. We used to say the divorce rate and much of it caused because of indiscretion was 50%. Well, it's nice to say it's down to 39% now. Marriages, only 39% get divorced. But part of it, it, that isn't so perfect because part of it is that men don't marry until they're about 30 now instead of about 24. And men, women who were marrying at about 22 or 23 are now 28 on the average. And the difference is they cohabit for a period. And it may be a number. And so it's like they have a relationship and they split and leave. I read a, a statistic. It said if, if a cohabiting couple has a child by the time the child is nine, 50% of them will be in a single-family home. If a married couple have a child, 20% will be. They're still divorced, but not to the same percentage. It, it doesn't have the same effect. Two consenting adults certainly affect a lot of people. Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn back there. I want to just read part of this because it talks about this relationship. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal glory, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they... They knew he was there. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of humanism, worship of man, and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts. I, that, that picture of God gave them over, that's the picture he no longer restrains. He gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, what their passions are for impurity. So that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the, create, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also man abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men, committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. But it's simply because God withdrew because of their passions and their unwillingness to worship him and said, do what you want. We think of homosexuality today, and it is so prevalent and so accepted. It really isn't as prevalent as people might think, but it's not discouraged. We come down to verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. In other words, because of their sin, they're worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they give hearty approval of those who practice them. 
I was not going to get into the issue so much of homosexuality, but it certainly fits in here with the immorality today. I, um, I may not agree with the lifestyle, but I don't have any, you know, it, it, if somebody chooses to disobey God or dishonor him and live in a homosexual lifestyle, it's okay. And, and they live in my street and they've taught my child and uh, we have certainly seen that in our culture But when we talk about giving hearty approval, things changed when the Supreme Court changed the definition of marriage from a man and a woman, which it had been for centuries, to two people who love each other and cohabitate no matter what the relationship. You see, what happens there is that now it isn't just a matter of whether we say, well, that's not God's will, but we have changed the definition And we give approval to it. Pleasanton uh, has been trying to determine whether they want to fly a gay pride flag, rainbow flag. And uh, it's the idea that we're proud of, of this diversity. And at first they said no, but the pressure has been to change. I don't know what their final decision was. Uh, They were deciding what could fly and what couldn't fly. And, uh, you know, if if the city flies that flag, basically they are saying we give hearty approval. That's their statement. And that's what it's talking about here. I understand on Tuesday the Antioch City Council will be discussing the same issue. Uh, it, It gives hearty approval. And what my concern is, is that it changes our relationship with God. Now we distort this whole beautiful sexual relationship into something that God didn't intend to begin with. And we have to go back and say, God, what do you want for me? What do you want for my family? How do I teach it properly? How do I make sure that we're safe? Verse 7 and 8 in closing, it says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity but sanctification, but holiness, to be set apart to him. So he who rejects this, and I want you to get this verse, it's for my safety. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The one who convicts concerning sin and righteousness, the one who gives strength and power to resist immorality, the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So I'm just going to say this is is not a sermon that I normally preach. But it follows in tune with this passage in Scripture. And God called us not to immorality, but to purity. And as Christians, we need to take that stand. We need to teach our kids. We need to teach our grandkids. And and others, and we, we need to take a stand for what's right before God. Because I find so often when people don't, and, and, and they slip into a pattern that isn't right before God, God forgives. We are to forgive as well. That, that's certainly there. Uh, but when we slip into that, we find out oftentimes we do danger to ourselves. The broken relationships, the broken hearts, the struggles... And so when I look at impurity and what it's done in terms of 
pornography and how that has affected the home, when, when I think of sex trafficking and how that has affected our society, when I think of pedophilia and what that has done to our nation, it just goes more and more and more. And there's a point where we turn it around and say we don't go there anymore. We honor God. So I had this figured out. When you go home, please do not go home and say, I disagree with Pastor Andy. Because God wrote that. It's easy to go home and say, well, I pick apart a sermon. I don't like this and this and this. I disagree with this. This principle isn't right. I don't like that one. When in reality, we need to stop and say, what did the Bible say? And how do we apply it? And how does it change our lives? Let's pray. Father, you you know, Father, that's not an easy topic for us. It isn't one that we always speak about in church. Uh, There's teaching. I appreciate the fact that we get good teaching on it in our youth group. Our young people probably get a whole lot more than I gave this morning. But Father, we need to be examples too. We need to take stands for what's right and wrong. We need to understand where there are things that are causing damage within our society and culture. Many of the things that our culture is struggling with today could be wiped out if we simply get the moral issues properly in place. Many of the things that happen in the church, and Father, I ask your forgiveness for Christians who've walked away from your will. I ask your forgiveness for pastors and for youth pastors who've abused their positions of authority within the body and have sexually abused others. Father, forgive us as a church, as Christians today. Thank you, Father, for loving us. And thank you that when we do mess up, and probably all of us have at some time or another in terms of this topic, that you forgive. And in the same way, we are to forgive and accept and love one another. Thank you, Father, for your grace. And from your grace comes peace. I pray for each person to hear today. I don't know where they are. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know what they've experienced in life, but you do. And I pray for comfort and wholeness as we seek to do that which pleases you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.